0: Welcome to Engaging the Experts, a series of interviews with pharmacy practitioners and educators on cutting-edge topics. In part two of this two-part Engaging the Experts interview, William Zelmer talks with Susan Cornell and Curtis Triplett regarding novel treatments for the management of type 2 diabetes, a focus on SGLT2 inhibitors. This installment is produced by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from AstraZeneca. It is available at www.ashpadvantage.com forward slash SGLT2 or via iTunes as a podcast.
1: This is William Zelmer for the ASHP program, Engaging the Experts, a series of interviews with pharmacy practitioners and educators on cutting-edge topics. I'm speaking with Susan Cornell and Curtis Triplett, who presented a session on this topic at the twenty fourteen ASHP Midyear Clinical Meeting. With respect to the safety and effectiveness of SGLT two inhibitors, what are the top issues that
2: clinicians should be aware of? Bill, I think it's important that we talk about two main things when we when we mention safety for SGLT two inhibitors. One would be the glucodiuretic effect. Number one is that when you're actually getting rid of sugar via the kidney, water is pulled along. So this glucodiuretic effect can affect our type 2 population, especially if they would tend to be a little older, elderly, or on other medications that makes them get rid of water like diuretics, etc. And so we need to make sure that we talk to our patients about this particular issue because if their fluid contracted, it is possible that they can get a little bit of hypotension or just get a little dip in their kidney function. So number one is really that glucodiuretic effect and to account for it in your patient. The second would be genital urinary side effects. Well, number one, not a big difference, but I think it's the one that comes to people's mind is UTIs. But really, there's only a very slight, maybe 1% tick up in the risk of UTIs. And in clinical practice, it's going to be really hard to see this. But importantly, even though there's a 1% increase in UTIs, they're not upper UTIs. So there's no pyelonephritis increase. Uh, the other one, though, it's very common is yeast infections. Of course, in women, this would be vulvovaginitis, but in men, it's balanitis. And especially for pharmacists with all the OTC products out there available, we need to remember that maybe someone who has already had a history of this infection would be at much higher risk to get another one. But men usually don't get this. And so, especially in uncircumcised men, it's kind of a surprise to them that they might have this and they could confuse it with a STD. So we need to make sure and tell men about this side effect as well. Sure.
1: Well, you're sort of alluding to this, but I'm curious, uh, do you have any additional advice for pharmacists
2: who dispense
1: these medications to ambulatory patients?
2: As we were talking about, Bill, one is that you need to ask them about over-the-counter products that they may have used. There are so many highly effective antifungal products over-the-counter now that many of these patients may not even have presented to you or to the provider in order to get this treated. And so we need to make sure that we're asking about this. Number two is, again, for those men who are especially uncircumcised men who are higher risk, tell them that it's not an STD. Tell them that they need to make sure and understand that it is a easily treated yeast type infection. Last but not least, telling your patient from the beginning to drink lots of water and tell them that these are all once daily medicines. So take it in the morning. And basically, uh, we need to remember that it can, in some people, increase the amount of urine output they're having or even urgency sometimes, so make sure they're taking in the morning and let them know that they can't take it in the evening because it might increase the amount of events that they would have overnight. They might get up two, three times a night just to go to the restroom.
1: Right, right.
2: Well, Susan,
1: what about inpatient pharmacists who encounter a newly admitted patient with type 2 diabetes who is taking an SGLT2 inhibitor? What advice do you have for those practitioners?
0: Well, this is very important, Bill, for these folks, you know, inpatient pharmacy, if you've got a patient who's being admitted, well, first of all, number one, you want to note that in their their medication record, which of course sounds like common sense, but it's very important because if this patient coming in, they do a urinalysis, more than likely they're going to find glucose in the urine and this could trigger... Insulin treatment that is above and beyond what's necessary for the patient, and of course, leading to a potential hypoglycemic event. So, you know, first of all, folks need to know that sugar in the urine is very common, especially if they're on this, you know, SGLT2 inhibitor. So, not to go and jump on adding on drugs at that point. The other thing, too, is I have to let folks know who work inpatient, this drug really should not be used in an inpatient setting. It is definitely more of an outpatient setting. You know, long-term care might be appropriate, but not inpatient. And mainly for the reason that Curtis talked about, you know, the glucodiuretic effect. You don't need that in an inpatient setting. We're often trying to hydrate these patients and you're just going to obviously, you know, have this promotion of sugar in the urine, potential risk for dehydration, not something we want to see in the hospital setting. And second of all, infection, you know, these drugs, as Curtis already mentioned, folks may get a urinary tract or your genital infection, and that's not something that you want to be dealing with in the hospitalized patient.
2: Curtis, do you have anything to add on this point? No, I I 100% agree with Susan that these drugs right now are not appropriate for inpatient pharmacists, and so I think we just have to go back to our tried and true medications on the inpatient side, which is usually insulin therapy. Right.
1: Curtis, do you have any thoughts about the ultimate role over time that the SGLT2 inhibitors will play in the treatment of patients with diabetes?
2: For our typical type 2 patient, we have a lot of those patients that end up in the low 8 range or high 7 range. And I think one of the wonderful things about these drugs is that they work very well across the spectrum of diabetes. So they will work similarly for a person who has newly diagnosed diabetes as someone who is currently on insulin therapy, as long as their kidney function is pretty good. Because of this, the ultimate role will only continue to increase for our type 2 diabetes patient population. Susan, what would you say about that point?
0: I completely agree with Curtis. And for me personally, I tend to look at things mechanistically. And so looking at many of the drug therapies, and I mentioned, you know, when we started this conversation, I mentioned that there are 12 classes of drugs available right now to treat type 2 diabetes. And what's interesting is many of those drugs target the postprandial blood sugar, where very few of them are solely targeting the fasting. And one of the nice things about the SGLT2 inhibitors is they do have a heavy influence on the fasting blood sugar. So that's why they make for such a great combination. And I think if people look at, okay, the folks have higher fasting levels and we need to lower the fasting blood sugar, these drugs are definitely a viable option. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Well, as we bring our conversation to a close, do you have any concluding thoughts related to the guidance that pharmacists can receive by participating in your web-based educational program on novel treatments for the management of type 2 diabetes? Susan, would you like to start with
0: that? Sure, Bill. I would invite folks to actually join the web-based program or participate in it, because what we did today, just now we are giving a cursory overview of snippets of practical information. And not to take anything away from that, but we go into more detail. And specifically, for example, I can say the mechanism of action of SGLT2 inhibitors. You know, I did a cursory overview of it. Much more detail can be found in the web-based program as well as going over the different classes of drugs and the combinations of therapy. So you know for folks to see those different classes that are out there and where do they fit in as far as the therapy guidelines go, I think that's what the web-based program will help them with.
2: I see. Curtis, would you have anything to add? Sure. I think if you're looking to get some more information on type 2 diabetes, SGLT2s, the uptake in the primary care sector has just been huge. And because of that, I think as a pharmacist, you're likely to run into these medications in your practice. And so it's worthwhile to look at this class of medications so that you understand them well, because in your clinical practice, it's very likely that you're going to run into them multiple times.
1: Well, Dr. Susan Cornell, Dr. Curtis Triplett, thank you very much for taking time uh, to have this conversation with me and for introducing the topic of your educational program, focusing on the SGLT2 inhibitors. Thanks very much.
0: That concludes Part 2 of this two-part Engaging the Experts interview. For more information on this topic, including an archived version of the mid-year clinical meeting presentation, visit www.ashpadvantage.com forward slash SGLT2.